Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show for what, as it turns out, is our last show of the month. It is the last show of the month. This is the shortest month the Bloke and the Bird has ever had. Yeah, it's it's just been kind of crazy, and it's going to be kind of crazy to wrap up for us. But we'll calm down, and we'll have a full month of, well, October-ish. We hope. Because it won't be the first weekend in October. Right. But then we can go... You know, hammer down and strap mode five through the end of the year. Don't ask questions, just execute. Yeah. And then we'll have to take our standard Christmas break. Yeah. Um, and then we'll have to see what 2017 brings us. Yeah, it, it's shaping up to be interesting. Before we even look at anything that has to do with 2017, the news and the talk and the speculation and the hype and the obfuscation and everything else. Obfuscation. We're now channeling cartoon. I said obfuscation. Not you're now channeling car talk. It was me that mispronounced it, but that's okay. Oh, okay. Now you're as channeling... long as you recognize it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was, uh, now you're channeling car talk? We've been doing that for a while. Anyway, the obfuscation continues surrounding the sale of Formula One and its impact on, or possibly no impact, on Bernie and how Bernie might handle this. There was an interesting thing that was mentioned on a uh, Five Lives podcast. We'll start with this. Okay. Very interesting thing that was mentioned. Bernie, for those of you that do not know, while he is a he owns a stake of Formula One as it stands now in Formula One management, he is a minority owner. He is. With CVC Capital up until last week being the majority owner. Correct. What that means, and what I think should be interesting, considering the near godlike status that Bernie holds within the paddock and within Formula One, but what that means is that while Bernie was probably aware of the deal, he didn't have a say in the deal. And he probably, as just a minority shareholder and not a controlling shareholder, was not involved in the negotiations of the sale. Well, I think you may be right in some of those pieces, but keep in mind that Bernie's actual full tentacles into the F1 situation um, is not fully known. True. And I mention this because, yes, he has a minority share in some portions of F1. He also has some sort of working arrangement for CVC Capital. It's like they've hired him to do some pieces. So he works for them along with other pieces. So what he does and does not have control or action over is kind of nebulous at best. Hence the, you know, puppeteer-like strings he holds on every piece of well, Formula One. The things that we know is that he is contractually the head of Formula One management. Correct. Which is the promoter as opposed to the regulating body for the series. Correct. However, CBC Capital Chair David McKenzie also has some level of role as well. Well, see, I always pictured Bernie's head of Formula One status as being a hired help for CVC Capital. And in a way, he might be. And then he still owns that piece that is a minority share 
that is the piece that he owns, which are like almost two separate pieces, is my basic understanding. But like I said, the understanding of the structure of F1 as a whole, either promotion side or regulatory body side, is equal to, if not greaterly, greater complications than the current U.S. tax code. Possibly. Now. What we know that Bernie does, because this ties into my next point. Okay. Okay. What we know that Bernie does, Bernie is the person who is responsible for negotiating and implementing the uh, the host agreements with the tracks. Correct. That is all his doing. We also know that Bernie is responsible for um, negotiating the national television contracts for coverage of the sport. Correct. Um. There are, in theory, other pieces of promoting Formula One that he should be responsible for. That includes their online presence and social, although he freely admits and and has continued to say this week that he doesn't see any point in – how did he put it? He didn't call it Facebook. He called it like the face place or something like something ridiculous. Continuing like to express today, he fully understands how social media drives um, the interaction with the younger generation, which if I can make a small diversion and we'll loop right back mm-hmm. to Bernie. Um, Jensen Button, in an interview regarding his situation, made a comment that he believed that the growth of the sport was in the younger sector mm-hmm. and that quite frankly, they need to be looking to figure out how to make Formula One more interesting than Pokemon Go. Well, his comment was, and and he got mocked for it, which (laughs) kind of bothers me because in reality, I think it's incredibly true, is that they need to make it more popular than Pokemon, was what he had said. Not even so much more interesting. Oh, the quote that I read was more interesting than Pokemon Go. Okay. Um, popular, I think maybe a little bit bigger hurdle to, to, it might be, but it's a valid, but, but the point is still valid. The point is valid. I mean, you're competing with imaginary cartoon creatures and you can't get people interested in real life humans driving real life cars. Mm -hmm. I mean, that should be a no brainer, but I, I don't know. I mean, I struggle getting some people to, to understand why I would follow people driving cars versus people moving a weird shaped ball down a field that stop every four minutes. I do not understand football. It is 12 seconds of play that is surrounded by three hours of waiting. I do not get it. And I never will. There, go back to Bernie. So back to Bernie. (laughs) There has been a lot of talk. Um, and I think some of it has been pushed by um, Bernie's close friend and ally, formula, former FIA president and former Formula One team owner, Max Mosley, that, you know, it, it tr- and, and he's right to, to some extent. Formula One is the organized sport that it is today and has had the business success that it is that it currently enjoys largely due to Bernie's efforts and I don't think anybody even those that are Bernie dissenters a la the bloke and the bird um would disagree with that yeah I firmly hold that Bernie saved f1 he did you know 
there, there was a story on ESPN this past week that said that single-handedly he he changed how Formula One worked from a basically if you were a fan of Formula One in the, the 60s into the 70s, the, the teams negotiated directly with the circuits. So as a fan, you didn't necessarily know what teams were going to show up to compete until, oh, the day, the race weekend. Which in a way is kind of similar to similar um, to the way IndyCar works is that some of the drivers don't race at all of the races yeah. um, because of their own sponsorship deals and such. And in a way, the fact that Bernie moved the, the sport to you race for all the races and I'll take care of the negotiation for the group and made group bargaining part of that, it's a big deal. But he also put in some, some technical oversight into what was actually going out on the track and tightened up the rules so that there was some standardization and that the cars that were going out on the track were fit to be on the track. And also fit to a compete. good thing. Um, and, you know, as we mentioned, the TV coverage, because for most of the 70s outside of, say, Monaco, Britain, and Italy, the races weren't really covered. I mean, it started to pick up. Um, there was live coverage of Suzuka for the great big Hunt Lauda battle, mm -hmm. but that was the first time that a race had been broadcast live. Oh, Wow. And that, that was one of the concerns over the running of that race, if you go and watch it, is, you know, they didn't want to run out of daylight. They were losing their satellite window that they could broadcast in. So it was, do you, post, do you cancel the race and lose the coverage or what? But Bernie was a big push in that. But he, he did more than that. He, he introduced collective bargaining for everyone's financial benefit, which, yeah, that's kind of questionable, but also pushed the teams into putting on a more professional show. You know, they used to wear the, the oily coveralls when they're working in, in the in the pits, and now they've got the crisp uniforms and the, the spotless organization within the garages, you know, from tea kettles and, 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 and pots for refreshments. There's now five-star Michelin cuisine. Bernie apparently, and I didn't realize this, Bernie apparently – one of the things that he does on a re race weekend, especially when he is there, is he reviews the aerial shots of the track to ensure that everything, at least when it comes to the organization piece, not so much the spectator areas, but from the team's pieces, that vehicles are parked perfectly straight and in line and all of it is precisely laid out and organized because that is the level of attention that he brings to this. You know, somebody has to do that. Mm -hmm. And somebody has to start that. I mean, if you think of the roots of Formula One, and I think that one of the arguments that you and I have had at the beginning of the year, I don't remember if it was this year or last year, about this idea of Formula One's going down and it needs to go back to the good old days. And we were arguing over, well, what constitutes the good old days? Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of ways, it's a similar argument of today's politics, too. But what is the good old days? I mean, you think about when Serling, Sir Serling Moss raced, and we talk about that as being glory days. And you think about that, the guys just showed up. Yeah. 
They showed up in what they had. I think they, Sterling Moss raced in a polo helmet. I mean, it was... I, I, I do believe you are right. Um, I mean, disregarding the need for safety that uh, Sir Jackie Stewart pushed into the sport um, so well with his group of drivers, but people were still just showing up. Yeah. You know, it, it was a playboy sport of, hey, let's go do this on the weekend. And, um, you know, let's let's all gather everybody and build a barn and let's let's raise. Um, and to put that kind of level of organization, you don't get to claim that you're the pinnacle of motorsport without having an attention to every detail along the way. And while I can give Bernie a lot of credit and a lot of forward thinking and out-of-the-box thinking and attention to detail in the 70s and the 80s when transforming the sport was actually happening, what I fault him for is short-sightedness today. He was forward-thinking enough to figure out that collective bargaining for the tracks was a, a good thing for everyone's financial benefit. Mm -hmm. He was forward-thinking enough to control and grab the TV rights when they were cheap, and he could control them. And he controls and then them. And build it into. And build it into something. But he controls them with such an iron fist that there's not a broadcast worldwide that his cameras are not the ones shooting the, the footage. Mm -hmm. That is a maniacal level of control, which I'm all for because it really does enhance the sport. It enhances what you see and what you can get out of the, the viewership. And all of those things were very forward-thinking thoughts in 1970s. But today, to then turn around and say, I don't understand why we need to be in the book of faces, or I don't understand what, what this is about the Twitterverse, is an old man shouting at clouds. You were at the cutting edge 20 years ago. You were at the cutting edge 40 years ago. And today, you're not at the cutting edge any longer. You are no longer seeing where the sport is got potential to grow mm -hmm. because you are an old man shouting at clouds. Well, to, to get back to where I was headed with that. Sorry, I didn't he, need to divert you. No, and, and that's fine. It, it's building on where I was headed is, yeah, Bernie recognized this. He negotiated all of those things. He did some extremely complex and lucrative deals. And in many respects, Bernie knows where the bodies are buried in Formula One. Yep. Very well. So there are some folks, Max Mosley being one of them, who believes that without Bernie, Formula One cannot exist. Well, Bernie's going to die at some point. Well, that, that's, we, that's we got one a plan of the for that. that. That's one of the issues. But M Max also says, and, and he believes, and there's a couple other people who have kind of mirrored Max's comments, that should um, CVC, or not CVC, should Liberty start to interfere in what Bernie does and try and take some of the control that Bernie has away from him, that Bernie is going to walk, and that this would be disastrous for Formula One. Bernie, I think, feels the same way. Well, Bernie has always overinflated his own importance. Um, and I think you're right in, in some ways. Bernie does know where all the bodies are buried, mm -hmm. and Bernie has had a chokehold on formula one for a very long time this deal with liberty i think and just seeing what happened in the grid walk alone 
where Bernie was not given his due level of attention, where people wanted to talk to him but wanted to actually talk to the other guy. It wasn't just an agreement. It's all throughout the race weekend because we were watching Sky yesterday, and it was how um, Chase Carey was visiting all the teams. Mm -hmm. All the teams were excited to see him and wanted to talk to him and wanted to chat with him. And Bernie was just with his current wife wandering by himself through the paddock. I have a feeling that all of this, and I know you're about to reference an article, the interview with Martin Brundle Mm -hmm. with Bernie. Um, I have a feeling that a lot of this is that uncertainty and loss of control and Bernie shouting at it. Um, Because Bernie has always enjoyed the feeling of, well, you control all the strings. And now Chase has come in and said, well, I'm the new popular kid at school. And he's got the new strings right now. And everybody wants to know what his vision is going to be and what and nobody's wanting to talk to Bernie right now because his vision is old school. Well, I, I, I got to caution you on that because that was the visual that Sky was putting forward. Yep. However, as we hear a little later or as we were about to discuss, um, Martin Brundle sat down with Bernie. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Martin pointed out was that there was still a long line outside of Bernie's office in Singapore. As a matter of fact, he asked him, um, judging by the queue of people outside your office in Singapore, it is business as usual. You're the go-to man. If I want to do a deal for a circuit or whatever, I come to you. It's Bernie. Yep. Man of many words there. <laughs> so Martin says, is that going to change? And Bernie's response, it'll only change if I don't do it and I'm not there. So he doesn't see that changing. Now, he's also turned around and said that um, he doesn't believe that the the Liberty Media deal is going to have any impact on him whatsoever. Chase Carey, who who, uh, has been brought on by Liberty, will be essentially chairman of the group, but Bernie is still in whatever the heck role he's in. Um, He's... Martin asked him, you've said before that you find it difficult to work with other people. You're your own man. You're the king of the castle here. How is that going to change this time? Because there have been many owners. He's sold these rights off before. Bernie said, it probably won't. Um, Martin then said, so you think you might find it tough to work with Kerry, but you've got to work with him, do you not? And Bernie said, the only thing I have to do is die and pay my tax. Short of that, I don't have to do anything. He's a wee bit angry, and it shows throughout that entire interview. Um, and and it's, a, it's a little bit of, well, I can just take my toys and go home. And it reads that way. It definitely reads that he's going he's gonna to pout and, get, and scream and see if he can get his way. And if he doesn't, and I don't know how Chase Carey is going to do business. I don't have a sense. Yeah, nobody does a, right now sense of what that looks like although i gotta give him bonus points for distinctive look on the grid yeah uh, actually he kind of looks a lot like Dieter's each yeah he does so moving on with this and, and yeah. i was wrong earlier i called him david mckenzie it's donald mckenzie uh martin says donald mckenzie is taking chase up and down the paddock and introducing him to people if you're going to work with him why isn't it you doing that 
And Bernie says, because Donald has nothing else to do. That is what he is here for. So Barton then says, you will always be Mr. Formula One, probably forever. You're 86 next month. Aren't you ready yet to be chairman emeritus and let those younger guys get on with it and give them your experience from time to time? And Bernie says, at the moment, I am still able to deliver. When I think I can't, then I'll stop. Martin, does it annoy you all the cameras around Chase Carey as he went around the as he went down the paddock? That's your patch, Bernie. Bernie, no. What the hell? He's new to us, it, and it's better he gets exposed to people. I I found the line about I still think I can deliver, and when I can't, I'll step down. Uh, was a very interesting line because he's a very very quick to tell a driver that they can't deliver anymore and that they should be retiring and i find that an interesting thing that he doesn't want to hear it from anybody else but he thinks that it's okay for him to tell another drive a driver that so martin went on to ask him about max's comments yes um said that you know might there be a chance you just don't like it and walk off max mosley said you might just walk away bernie well Max knows me very well. So Martin went on. So it's not out of the question if you just don't like the way it is heading. And Bernie says, thank God at the moment. I don't quite need the money. I don't need a job. And if by chance things aren't going the way I think would be the right way, then I will disappear for sure. Yeah. And did he mic drop at that point? No, there there were a couple more questions. There was the other one here, which I thought was kind of interesting. Martin asking him, do you miss the old days when it was Ken Terrell and Frank Williams and Ron Dennis, and you ruled the roost, and they just followed you? And Bernie said, more or less now, I don't have any opposition from the teams. Yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> they are all pretty good. As long as I can deliver for them, they are happy. If I couldn't and don't, then they'd be happy, and I'd go. So Martin said, when you sold F1, you got a lot of cash in your pocket. Do you wish you hadn't? And he said, well, what I did was I gave all the shares in the company to my now ex-wife, and she put them in a trust, and it was the trust that sold them. Are you saying it would have been better if I hadn't done that? And Martin says, yeah, because all the billions CVC had taken out would have been your cash. And Bernie says, up to a point, it doesn't make a lot of difference, does it? He's right there. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll we'll see how this plays out. Um, I mean, we could talk about all the the theor, th- theorization, the hypotheses that somehow Liberty will figure out how to market F one in the U S. I don't think so. There are bigger, more fundamental issues to getting Formula One in the U S. And that was one of the other things that that was mentioned on Five Live this past week is that, yes, Liberty has a very strong presence in the United States. They know how to market stuff, including sports in the U.S. However, where Liberty does not have a big presence that Formula One does is in Europe. And there is a theory that is being floated by some that Liberty's purchase of Formula One isn't so much to build Formula One in the United States— as it is to give Liberty a presence and build Liberty's business in Europe. Which I think would be a much easier lift. 
That's probably a much easier lift. I mean, one of the challenges that you and I have both pointed out multiple times is one of the largest hurdles to get over in marketing Formula One in the United States is the time zone problem. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is you're not going to put more races in our time zones during our prime time time zones as opposed to, you know, you'd be manipulating them for where your market already exists. Yeah. And that's less likely to be a, a good thing. Um, I think that you've got a far easier lift to be able to market sports internationally that media that Liberty already has some skill with in marketing um, and grow their business worldwide versus trying to bring F1 in the U.S. Now, does F1 increase in the U.S. as a as a natural result? I would hope so. I would hope that Liberty would be able to, at the very least, command some decent commentating in the U.S. market. You know, I don't think they're going to have much impact on that. What I think they could have impact on, if they wanted to bring some change based on how American sports in general, let, let alone motorsport, but how American sports in general are run and promoted and handled, is, you know, Bernie's position, and we have mocked this incessantly, is when it comes to his fans and it, when it comes to his spectators and anybody who wants to be a part of Formula One, it, it's your bank account must be this big to apply. Mm-hmm. And that includes down to the fans and the merchandising and all the other stuff. Um and as a result, as we have seen, this drives up ticket prices, and it's starting to have a negative impact on attendance. Could Liberty Media decide that instead of looking at a minimum dollar value that they want to get per fan, that instead they look at ways to increase the fan base at the, the cost of how much money they would earn per fan – with the thought of by increasing the fan base, you're bringing in bigger numbers. So could we see track deals um, in terms of the, the overall dollar value being being paid to them? Could we see those numbers slowly start to drop as renewals start to come around? Could we see merchandising numbers start to drop a little bit? Could we see um, the broadcast contracts those dollar values drop a little bit with the thought being in exchange for doing that they start bringing in you know the ticket prices and the merchandising numbers those prices start going down to bring in more fans and possibly to make up some of that revenue they start looking at better ways to monetize their online presence and their online coverage in addition to bringing in more well, that is definitely a possibility. I mean, it doesn't take hard math to figure out that if you have a hundred fans and you want, and your minimum dollar value per fan is a hundred dollars, mm-hmm. you're only getting ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars. I believe that math worked right. A um, hundred times a hundred. Um, but if you had five hundred fans at fifty dollars a fan, you get far more revenue. Yeah. So. I mean, that's that's your math that you have to work out. And yes, your per fan rate is going to drop. But I work with a lot of retail clients all day long that we talk about, well, okay, maybe average order size is going to go down. But if you double your orders, you make up for it. You make up for it in volume. Yeah. And um, and that's that's always a good thing as long as you protect margin. I mean, and that's the thing is 
what are your costs to do those things? And if you're controlling cost because you're setting the deals, then you can make sure that the cost, the, the cost benefit ratio is right. That's the biggest key. And the final piece of this that has to fall is I believe that Bernie's control of the shipping side of F1 is outside of the CVC deal. It might be. And that may be where Bernie has his smugness is he can control cost. He can up until somebody goes to UPS who's already a Ferrari supporter or a Ferrari sponsor or FedEx or one of these other large logistics companies and says, this is the deal we want to offer you and we want to cut out this other guy. And it could happen. But Bernie's approach has always been, from what we have seen, when it comes to the marketing and revenue generation for the sport, is it's the money he can get now. Right. He would much rather have money in his hand now than lay the foundations to bring in significantly more money later. And I think that that's a function of his age. It may be. I mean, I think that is nothing different than our retirement um, uh, advisors telling us that you can ha- you can absorb more risk when you're 20 than you can when you're 80. Mm-hmm. And when he was 40 years ago, he was in his 40s. And he could take a risk and a gamble on the long-term rights. But he's... A lot closer to death now. And I think that that's why he's so hyper-conservative today when I think that he was playing the long game 40 years ago. Yeah, maybe. Can we? So let's move off the sale. Okay. 2017's coming. We know there's new regulations. The the question has been when do teams start to to change their, their focus? Manner says that they start, and, and I think this is a good sign. Manner says they started working on their 2017 car in January. Congratulations. I'm not sure what they were working on since nothing was finalized and everyone was going back and forth as to what that spec would be. But Manner says they were working on the car in January. And the fact that they had the resources to do that, I think, is huge. Yep. Um, they're looking to maximize what they're doing with computational fluid dynamics. Yeah. So designing on a computer as opposed to wind tunnels and stuff. Um, and they think that the big rule changes in 2017, and I think they're right here, the big rule changes in 2017 really give them um, an opportunity to maybe move up the grid. They are. They say that they are targeting... Uh, the mid-pack. They want to be a part of the mid-pack and not run at the bottom. And Hey, this year they, they've certainly seen some success. They're not running last. They got uh, uh, Sauber down behind them, and then the next team is only, which is Renault, going into this weekend was only seven points away from them. That's, I mean, not, that's not a big number. No. No, not at all. Now, Renault has remarkably underperformed this year. So yeah. it's it's not like Manor, Manor grew, but Renault is underperforming. So you can't just say that they're that it's all Manor's growth. Um, but I think it's, it's a big deal. I think their partnership with Mercedes is a huge deal for them to be able to 
leverage some of the Mercedes deal and the Mercedes engine has got to be a big step up. Yeah. Um, also now looking to 2017 is uh, Red Bull. They have some – Christian Horner says that they've got a couple of minor updates that are still pending, and these are probably more track-specific than anything overall performance-wise. Um, but they have clearly leapfrogged Ferrari and have – pretty well cemented themselves into second place, at least for the time being. Um, but as a result, they have shifted their focus to 2017 and are not anticipating any new big upgrades for the rest of the year. Okay. Also, and, and I know you will be happy to hear this. Okay. Of all people, Daniel Ricardo has said that he will no longer be doing shoeys on the podium. Oh, thank goodness. Unless he wins. Oh, please don't <laughs> win. It, like, makes me violently ill to watch that. You know, he, he said that, that because, uh, uh, not Alexander Rossi, Valentino Rossi over in MotoGP, he did this last weekend after finishing second in Italy, but now he thinks that, you know, it, it's probably best saved for the wins. Um, he did explain the origins of this, though. He points the, the origins of this celebration to the surfing fishing group, the Mad Hueys. Um, he says it's a bit of a laugh. Um, Jack Miller, who started this a couple of weeks ago on the podium, um, Jack Miller it, knows a few of the guys from the Mad Hueys. So when he got his win in, in Assen, Daniel suspected he was going to do it, and he did. So he thought he would keep the Australian tradition going. Now with Valentino Rossi getting into the mix, he saw he Instagrammed it yesterday and said, everyone loves a shoey. Um, then Valentino said that it was delicious and all that, and a few words that Daniel's used for it. Uh, Daniel says he thinks it's just a bit of fun now because everybody's enjoying it. So th this discussion happened during the press conference with Valtteri Bottas sitting next to him. Valtteri asked him how the shoey tasted. So Daniel smiled and said, Honestly, if the sparkling wine is cold, then it's good. Normally, it is on the podium. If it's warm, then usually you get the sweat in that throat. But the cold taste kills the bad stuff. So it's delicious. Ew. <laughs> ew. 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 Gross. Just gross. Just gross. Well, hey, you know, it's an Aussie thing. And, and you know, Aussie's doing crazy stuff with... Uh, with alcohol, not necessarily an, an unusual thing. Well, since Ricardo did have second place in today's race, um, I'm very, very happy he did not choose to do a shoey today. He kept his promise. Because with the heat and humidity of this weekend's race, the anticipation is that the drivers will lose three kilograms in the course of the two-hour race. Yes. And um, I'm sure that some kilogram amount is in their socks um, of just sheer sweat. So probably on the gross factor, this would have been the grossest of gross. Next week, Malaysia. Also possible. Um, but yeah, ew, super gross. Super so, gross. So next up. Yes. Yes. Because silly season's not over yet. And speaking whose Formula One career may not be over yet, 
Rio Harianto. I know. I heard we secured some financial spacking. You were thinking I was talking about the Bewildered Face talent vacuum, but no, I was not. No, it was not the talent <laughs> vacuum at all. I was actually thinking you were going back to Jensen Button. Oh. Because there's lots of talk about what he's thinking about for next year and this idea of him coming back in 2018. So that's where I thought you were headed. But Rio, yeah, I'm hearing that he's uh, actually getting finances again. This is what he says and his manager says, that backers are coming back. The, and, and that it was because they were in shock. Shock, I tell you. That his money ran out, and and the team said, "Yes, yeah, since you can't pay for the ride, you're not coming along." Okay. I I don't know if that's truly what happened. Now, what I did think was interesting, and and I don't know if it's accurate. I I don't necessarily agree with it. We shall see. But um, it's, um, the folks over at Sky in their predictions for where Silly Season is going. They think the seat is going to Alexander Rossi. I'm not sure I believe it. I'm not sure, depending on his success in IndyCar, if he wants to come. I mean, I'm sure that he actually does. He worked very hard to get into Formula One. I don't think he's necessarily done. But he's very successful over in the IndyCar world. And I'm... Wondering, especially on the IndyCar side, there was a lot of talk that I was just listening to that this might be the end of Montoya's career. So yeah. we won't we won't see that Formula One driver over there. I mean, he is very much an elder statesman at this point. Um, another thing that Sky was toying with was a Rio return to Manor, possibly. Because Esteban Ocon was talking about possibly going to Renault. I think that's likely. However, the Briton Julian Palmer says that he's still in the mix for a ride at, uh, at Renault. Renault. Well, the, the question is, because I, I think um, Ocon's seat is fairly secure at Renault. So the question is, do they go with Magnuson or do they go with Palmer? Now, But see, Sky was saying that they thought Magnuson's seat was even more secure than Ocon going over to the other seat. Before we even get to that, one of the big questions that was going on, because Renault had originally turned around and said that they were planning on making the announcement this weekend. It appears that the Perez situation, because that was, I guess, what they were holding out on, was something to happen with Sergio Perez. Perez also came out and said that he can't announce anything this week because he was hoping to announce something this weekend. He has said that he can't announce anything this weekend. Supposedly, his holdup is commercial because he's already signed a contract with Force India. They've all acknowledged that he signed a contract, but there were commercial issues, including a rumor— that part of what the holdup was that um, Sergio's prime financial backer, one Carlos Slim, was in negotiations to buy Force India, mm-hmm. something that Bob Fernley has said, yeah, that's not happening. No, go away. <laughs> um, but we still don't have a deal for Sergio. Renault was kind of hoping that maybe they could lure Sergio over. It doesn't look like Sergio's coming to Renault, which – gives us one seat that's still in play, 
So then it's, yes, is it going to be Magnuson? Is it going to be Palmer? Magnuson's come out and said that at this point, the, the impressions that they have been given is that it's going to be, quote, some time before Renault makes that decision. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, I never would have guessed. And if you had said to me two years ago, two and a half years ago, that the linchpin in silly season was going to be Sergio Perez. Yeah. I would have laughed at you because coming out of his McLaren fiasco, he didn't look like he was going anywhere fast. How about that two years ago, what your reaction would have been if somebody told you that this year Perez was going to get seven podiums in a force India? I know. I know. That's it. That's a bit crazy too. Um, all right. So we have this idea of whether or not Ocon's going to Renault, Magnussen to Renault. Will we have a second Brit on the grid? Because right now it looks like the only confirmed Brit on the grid is Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And it's been a long time since we've only had one Brit. Yeah, it's, I don't remember, you know, Sky had mentioned the exact number and I don't remember what it was. Yeah. But that's a lot of weight for Hamilton to hold. I mean, but but I think it it also depends on what Williams does, because Williams has Alex Lynn in the wings, and they've got somebody else um, whose name escapes me right this second. Stolt, uh, Lance. Lance Stolt, Stolt. is the Stolt. other one. Stolt, yeah. I believe, is a German, but Lind, I think, may Alex Lynn may be English. Uh, no, I think he's Canadian. Okay, but. Here's the thing. Here's where it gets really super fun. Um, Claire Williams came out and says that she really wished Button had talked to her before signing an agreement with McLaren to go on a sabbatical for a year because she wanted Button. She came out and said point blank that um, had he not signed that deal, that was where she was going for Williams. Um, Now, Lance Stoll has... um, Announced that he's feeling now he's probably the leading um, person for the seat at Williams, and he's announced that he's feeling a lot of pressure because he's still working on he's working down in the uh, junior series. Mm-hmm. Um, he's only seventeen years old, and he's feeling a lot of pressure about this possibility of going up to Williams. Could see that, and I believe it is Lance that shares a very important birthday it was september 16th september 17th oh 17th 17th the birthday that is shared by sir sterling moss Mm -hmm. damon hill Mm -hmm. and i believe it is lance stoll interesting it's either lance stoll or alex slynn it's one one of those two is and i'll find out before we get much further one of those two is the 17th that shares those two birthdays um, and if you were curious, Damon Hill is 56. Okay. It's Alex Lynn, who is 23, Ah, as of yesterday. So while we're talking about pressure, pressure is certainly on over at Toro Rosso for Daniel Kvyat, who also has been told he needs to wait on a decision. Yeah. Now, I guess um, but Christian it, Horner has said that he would like to keep Daniel within the organization. I got to be honest. Even if you take 
his performance since going back to Toro Rosso completely out of the equation. I got to wonder why you'd keep him around. Even assuming that he was turning around and crushing science, they've already confirmed that science is staying with the team. Why do you keep Daniel around? Because at that point, there's no clear route for him to ever reach Red Bull. And truly what Toro Rosso is supposed to be is a development team. This is part of their driver training and, and their, their driver training academy. So you bring on the young drivers, and if you can't perform at that level, you go off. You, actually, I should say, if you can't perform at a level that would make Red Bull want you and there's no path into Red Bull, why keep them? I think that you choose the driver for Toro Rosso to make the best pairing that you could possibly make. And I understand what you're saying is there's no more a promotion path to Red Bull. You've Mm -hmm. already said. But the way Red Bull works, the whole organization of Red Bull, where they only use their own development drivers and Mm -hmm. they promote from within and all of that kind of thing, you have two drivers sitting in the, the primary Red Bull seats that aren't going anywhere for a while. Mm-hmm. No matter who's in the Toro Rosso seats, you're not competing at that same level right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, we always talk about the fact that F1 has a timing element to it. You could be phenomenal and stuck because they don't have a sp- spot for you up there, um, which is exactly how Kvyat got demoted. Yeah. Um, was so that they didn't lose Max. I mean, truly, that, that was a saving to save Max. Um, Kvyat has had issues with his drive lately, and then he turned it around this week in Singapore. And I got to say, him holding Max off for as long as he did was phenomenal. Well, you know, he said at the end of the race, and, and we'll, we'll jump ahead to that one. It was one of the last stories, is that he felt that at least this weekend a large weight was lifted off of his shoulders. Um, he has complained since going back down to Toro Rosso that um, he didn't like the feel of the car. He couldn't get a good feel of the car, um, and that was leading to a lot of problems. And then you add the pressures of going down there and everything that's happened. He said it was pretty crushing. Um, he then turned around and said that he really needed the summer break so that he could switch off and get away and really try and recompose himself. And I don't think he's completely there yet, but he's, I, I think he's still in for an, for an uphill battle at this point. Yeah, the, the car did well at Singapore. This is probably going to be the last track that the teams with slower cars are going to do well at. Mm-hmm. Um, but... This is the last time that you pr- they're probably going to be up in the top 10. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know why you would keep Kvyat. I really don't. You've trust- tested him all the way up. Do you give a new shot for a new person? But keeping in mind, they have to be aware of what the combination looks like. They need somebody that can put that car in the points every time, even at the Toro Rosso level. And is that is that more or less likely with a new young development driver or with the the devil you know. Again, it depends on what you see the purpose of Toro Rosso being. If Toro Rosso is intended to be just another team on the grid, yeah, you look for the best possible. But if Toro Rosso is supposed to be a breeding ground and a development ground, 
and they've certainly treated it like that in the past where, you know, after about three years, if they haven't been able to bring a, a driver up, they age them out. Well, I think that there's that piece of it, but I think Toro Rosso does fill two primary spots in the in the lineup in the Red Bull deck of, of information of, of things one it's a it's a second source of information and it's also it's a development but there ground is for the drivers. collaboration but it's also a development dri- a ground for drivers mm-hmm. it's a pathway to get into the big boy seats i get all of that but at the same time toro rosso has their own budget to meet yeah they have their own need to perform and they're a mid-pack team that's going to need to figure out how to you know they may not compete with their own big brother but they need to compete in you know fifth sixth place and how do they do that how do they start to play with williams and and force india well they do one other thing for for red bull as long as they are i believe it's sixth or better they give red bull an extra vote on the strategy group Exactly, which is another thing to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we were talking about the possibility of the Williams seat. Mm-hmm. We should mention for a minute their only confirmed driver, Valerie, Valtteri Botas. He's not yet confirmed. We believe he is going to be confirmed. Okay. But I have not seen anything official that says that he is signed and he is keeping the seat. Okay. He is certainly the leading candidate for it. Well, he's now a family man. He got married over last weekend to the Finnish Olympic swimmer, Emily something or other. Well, now it's probably Emily Botus, but whatever. Perhaps. <laughs> Maybe she's progressive and doesn't it won't take his name. But um, they are two very blonde, very blue-eyed Finnish people. <laughs> And I'm sure they will make very beautiful blonde, blue-eyed babies. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that is a postcard of beautiful people right there. Okay. So, Fernando Alonso. Fernando Alonso, the two world title holding driver, with 32 victories, 65 other podiums, and 22 poles to his name. That Fernando Alonso. He says that none of that will compare to a win in his second stint at McLaren. Well, of course not, because everybody on the grid thinks that he was stupid for going to McLaren, and uh, the win would be like, nanner, 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 I did something great. Well, th- that that's some of it. That is... Yes, that certainly, is it. <laughs> certainly a consideration, but the other thing that he says is... Taking that out of play, just the simple fact of where this team was when he started and the performance of the engine, especially after the first year that that happens, whether that win comes from him or it comes from Stoffel, that is that surefire concrete sign of how far that that team has gotten, and he considers himself an integral part in that progress. Mm-hmm. And that's why he believes that that would be such a great thing because he's never been with an organization and had the ability to turn them around to such extent and to go from literally a car that was finding itself in P65 to now start winning races again. 
Well, to go from zero to hero is a pretty big deal. Yeah. And that's what he's saying. Mm -hmm. So this weekend, obviously the Singapore Grand Prix, Mm -hmm. free practice one was yet another opportunity for drivers to go out on the track and test out the halo. And this week it was Lewis Hamilton and I believe Fernando did as well. Both of it was the first time that they had done so. Now, to be clear, when the Halo was first brought out and we first started to see the pictures and it was first test-fitted on the Ferraris, Lewis slammed it pretty hard. Yeah. He called it ugly, thought it was terrible, didn't want it on there, didn't like it. Well, his aesthetic is very important to him. Mm -hmm. Um, Now that he has run it and he has seen it, he actually— his stance has softened a bit, and he said he was willing. He would have been willing to run it in the race. Wow. He said um, there were no problems, and apart from getting in, which is a lot different, he said he didn't really notice much of a difference having it there. Um, he said from, from his mirrors, he couldn't see the rear wing, so it blocks a little bit of the view in the mirrors, but otherwise in the corners, he didn't really notice it. Now, he does go on to say that it definitely doesn't look good. So he (laughs) still doesn't like the look. Um, And he said, when we go back to it's probably just a 17% safety improvement, but it is better than nothing. Okay. But it's not pretty. And, um, well, if it makes getting in more difficult, does it make getting out more difficult also? That's one of the questions. And it's... Supposedly, that's something that has been to actually. I don't want to say supposedly, in one of those free practice one installation tests that they had done. My understanding was that was some of the things that was tested, not just with the drivers, but with the marshals, because right. the marshals have to know how to extricate a driver. Right. Hmm. So I believe it was tested, and, and they didn't have any issues with it. I want to say that was back in the spring when that was looked at. Interesting. So before we get into the actual conversation of the race okay one of the big talking points going into the weekend was you know last year was just an awful awful race for mercedes and the year before wasn't really all that much does not like singapore i mean that's the reality they they end up with with all kinds of weird failures from packing material still being on nico's uh steering wheel which caused that to fail to uh, hydraulic and brake issues on Lewis's car causing them and them not being able to get the tires to work properly and all. Yeah, it's been a disaster out in Singapore. So the hope was this year, this year they could finally get past everything and get it resolved. And, of course, working against them, as we have seen in, in the time that we have been watching Formula One, Working against them and possibly being successful this year, this weekend, was Nico's 200th Grand Prix. I know. And we all know that, you know, a milestone Grand Prix is never a good event. Yeah. So before we get into the race, we have, as always, our statistics. I think Williams was a little quiet this year. They dropped the ball. No no Williams comments. Maybe it's because we can't do things in weights of Massa anymore. Possibly. Um, But Renault does have some some stats the first one which if you listen to the coverage especially from nbc but from everybody there's a lot of talk about how this is a track that is difficult to pass on 
all tracks are difficult to pass on. But more difficult than others, that, mm. that you really got to mm-hmm. work for it. Now, we hear that the lowest starting position for a winner at this track, care to guess? Two. You'd be wrong. What? 15th. Okay, so it's way impossible <laughs> to pass. <laughs> now, how about the average starting position for the winner? Well, I know, because I know the statistic. Oh, okay. In the last eight races, seven of them have been won from P1. Right. So I don't know what the average is, but I just know that from the last eight, seven of them have been P1. The average starting position is actually third. Really? Yes. Um, Renault, as a constructor only, has won there just once. Okay. Which kind of makes sense given their their recent history in the sport. So that that's kind of logical there. Um, highest G-force at turn 22 and 23 for three seconds is 3.0 G. And once again, Singapore proves that they have a 100% chance of a safety car. Yes. Stayed with that. Um, going into the race, like you mentioned, there, there, there were, well, now there are seven winners from pole. There were six going into this weekend. Huh, because the statistic that they said on NBC Sports was out of the last eight races, seven of them won from pole. So I figured now it was nine races and eight winners Ren- from Renault pole. says six winners from pole. Oh. So. Six straight winners from pole, is that what they It said? just says six winners from pole. Okay. Um, so some facts about Singapore. We've talked throughout the years, so I'm not going to go too deep into it, but we have talked throughout the years about the number of lights and all of that to make it work. It is a tremendous effort to pull this off in downtown Singapore. Mm -hmm. But uh, the one new thing that I don't remember hearing before is that with an illumination measurement of around 3,000 lux, the lighting will be four times brighter than that of most sports stadiums. Wow. Four times brighter. Wow. Well, I mean, we talked last year, I believe, about the color of the the visors because yes. it is a different light and being able to see is very difficult. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I just lost what I was going to say. Awesome. Well, I'll move on then. Yeah. So buildings in Singapore. Mm-hmm cannot be higher than 280 meters. This is partly because of busy air traffic arriving and departing from Singapore's Changi Airport, which is around one plane every 90 seconds. Wow. Mm-hmm. But they don't have to wait on the tarmac to get a gate to be open. Now, Singapore is a city on an island. Right. You thought I was going to go somewhere else with that, didn't you? But Singapore is a city on an island. Um. While they have a lot of high-rise buildings, 50% of the island is greenery, most of them on the top of buildings, 50 hectares of rooftop gardens. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Now, I did think that you were going to go to your other statistic that you thought you were going to stump me with this morning. (laughs) Did you want that one? Sure. Okay. So apparently there are only three city-states in the entire world, and... F1 runs at two of them. Mm-hmm. What's the third? That would be the Vatican. What are the other two? Monaco and, oh, um, Singapore. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, oh, I remember what I was going to say. Okay. A lot of Singapore is known for its street food. Yes. And it seems that a lot of the social media Twitterverse burning 
of the various drivers was of eating street food. Okay. Max Verstappen and Daniel Ricciardo joined each other on their street food fiesta, where Nico Rosberg ate street food alone. So, lap record. Yes. One minute, 48.574 seconds set by Sebastian Vettel in 2013. Broken. Yes, it was broken this year. We've seen a lot of records broken this year. Um, in 2015, there were just 11 overtakes. Wow. Um, How many of those were due to Hamilton not finishing? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Renault in Singapore, this is both as a constructor and an engine supplier, has 45 starts, four wins, 12 podiums, two poles, three fastest laps, and 254 points. Wow. That's a lot. And thanks to the Red Bulls, they well, thanks to Daniel Ricciardo, they added a bit to that. <laughs> yes, but do they get to claim that since it's a Tag Heuer branded? In- you know, in- that I don't know. One of the other odd statistics about Singapore is that in all the years that they have held a race in Singapore, and it is a tropical climate, and we have seen just five hours away over in Malaysia, they get some torrential downpours. And even Singapore is known for torrential downpours and thunderstorms and fairly severe weather. They have never had a wet race in Singapore. Wow. But they have had visitors on the track. They did. In the last two years. We had the man on the track last year. Yes. And this year we apparently had a very large monitor lizard. Yeah. Um, Max Verstappen, he, he didn't seem quite shaken by the fact that there was the lizard on the track. Uh, more amused. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe for next show we'll, or, or for later in the year, we'll actually have that audio. I didn't pull it. Uh, him calling back to the to the team and going no i'm not kidding there really is a lizard on the track a giant lizard on the track and the team radio back uh staring down in the eyes of godzilla are you (laughs) (laughs) so apparently godzilla visited the track yeah but um the folks in singapore would like to remind us that um it just happens to be by chance that they have not had a rainy wet race, and it is not due to cloud seeding, which <laughs> is a practice that does happen over there. Um, and the thing with cloud seeding that they like to point out was even if they did, it's not really a guarantee that it would keep the storms away because of the way it works. Ah. And I'm not going to go into the science content here. And, Warning, I, science content. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't go and clip out. She blinded me with science to use as part of it. Ah. So maybe some other time we will when we're talking about tires. I once thought that was the only video that was ever played on MTV. (laughs) Just saying they played it a lot in the early 80s. (laughs) So in the heat and the humidity, um, some teams saw success and others not so much. Um, So why don't we just go right to qualifying and Roman Grosjean with his really odd lockup in a place that you don't normally see cars lock up and planting that car in the barriers. Yeah. He came out of that and he said that he had absolute, and he had mentioned this going into the weekend, but said it again, absolutely no confidence in that car. Something has changed in that Haas car and it's not going well. Well, see, I don't know if that's... At least for Roman. 
I don't know if it's so much that something has changed. You know, one of the things that we have seen, and again, we talked about this last year with Mercedes, is this track does not suit some cars. No matter what the teams do, they cannot get their cars and, and the equipment to work properly. So that could be what's happening here. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And, um, okay, so we had Roman go off. That was in Quali 2. Yes. Now, as a result of, actually, even before we get to, well, we'll mention it now since we jumped ahead and I didn't mi- think well, of it. Well, Vettel didn't make it out of Quali 1. He didn't make it out of qua- at, at a Q1. He had a broken suspension, uh, which caused some interesting visuals. Yes. Um, as a result of that, and, and I think, it was a smart move for the team to do it. They had nothing to lose at this point. They changed both the engine and the gearbox, mm-hmm. which re- would have normally resulted in penalties, but he was already in the back, and it wasn't an issue. Grosjean um, also ended up with a new gearbox through this. Um, was going to make the decision to start from the pit lane. He also got hit with a five-place grid penalty for it. Um, however, whatever happened, they decided not to start the car. So well, he was headed out for the formation laps, and he didn't come out of the pit lane. Yeah. Um, in addition, as a result of qualifying, Sergio Perez violated yellow flags um, as a result of the Roman accident. Mm-hmm. Um, and while he advanced and competed in Q three, um, he got an eight grid penalty. Yeah, he only came out of Q three in, in tenth. Um, now, Sergio was very upset by this. Mm-hmm. And, and in a way, I understand Sergio's point in that his feeling was this is just another time that penalties were applied unevenly. Because uh, he goes back to the situation in Hungary where um, Nico was in a very similar situation and w- was not penalized and retained his pole position for it. Um Sergio turns around and says that, you know, there was another car I had to pass. I did slow going into that area, but I needed to pass him. I didn't know why this car had slowed down, but I was trying to get around him. The challenge I have here, and this is something that the Sky Sports guys talked about quite a bit, and I'm assuming the NBC Sports guys may have spoke, spoken about it as well. I don't know. Um, after the Hungary incident, and there was a lot of question about was it Hungary or was it Hungaroring? No, it was, it was Hungary because Hungaroring was the last one before break this year. After the, the Hungary incident, um, Charlie Whiting said that in the event that double yellows were waived, all cars on track, no matter where they were on the track, should consider their lap scrubbed, and he was going to treat it as a red flag incident. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind... What should have happened when the double yellows came out is red, either red flags should have been thrown or instantly all of the times for all of the cars on the track should have been thrown out. And right. neither happened. Now, that wouldn't have made Sergio any happier. No, it wouldn't. But at least it would have been in line with what Charlie has said in the past. True. True. So, I don't know. So did you want to talk about the race at this point? We should talk a little bit about the race. Because I got to tell you, lap one, crazy. Yeah. The rest of the race, 
not so much. And then there was some interesting um, strategy pulls along the way. There, there was some question as to what was going on and how and why. And I don't know. Some of the radio messages I don't think made sense. Right. Yes, we knew that the Mercedes, I mean, you could see the brakes glowing. We knew that their brakes were in trouble. But then to hear push harder, go faster, I don't know. Yeah, like what changed? That would have been nice. But, okay, lap one, Hulkenberg makes a hard left turn all the way across the field. It was an assisted turn. It was an assisted turn. (laughs) How Max Verstappen avoided that, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Um, If if you haven't seen the video of the start from Max's point of view, you need to go watch it because it's it's pretty shocking to all of a sudden, there he is driving along at the start, and there comes Hulkenberg at a right angle straight in front of him. Yeah. I mean, and Max didn't. I don't even think Max had to do any kind of evasive effort whatsoever. It didn't look like he did any evasive action. I don't know if he backed off just a little bit because yeah. Max did drop back quite considerably in the start. Um, he didn't have a great start. Lewis didn't have a great start. Nico did have a great start. Nico Hulkenberg had a fantastic start off the line and then assisted hard left turn into the wall. That was a glorious amount of carbon fiber that exploded over the racetrack and the tire the the tire went across the thing they wound up pulling out the safety car 100 percent chance safety car in singapore um and driving them through the pit lane because this thing happened at the pit lane exit yeah and, and we've seen that a couple of times when something happens on the front straight like that um, they will reroute the cars down the pit lane. Now, the last time, the last couple of times that, that we've seen it happen, there was a message that was flashed up from race control saying cars will be coming down the pit lane. What was really kind of, and, and I'm surprised that we didn't, I haven't heard anything about an unsafe release or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So they bring in Botus. Williams changes his tires, sends him out as... Vettel's coming down the pit lane. Now, normal circumstances, yes, it would have been an unsafe release, but there wouldn't have been nearly the crowd of engineers in the pit boxes. Right. This one, whoa, that was close. It was it was very close. And I didn't see anything about that. But, yes, you're right. That was a little definitely odd. Um they had to clean up everything from Hulkenberg. Definitely scrubbed his race. He had 50 mm-hmm. yards in the race. Um, but then we kind of move along. Vettel did a remarkable job, and definite credit to Vettel. He did a remarkable job coming up through the field. He started in last, and he ended in fifth. Yeah, and given Ferrari's performance throughout the year, that's huge. I thought that was very impressive. Um so there was a little confusion about what was going on with the whole tire strategy. Um, Mercedes had a really hard time with the super softs. Mm-hmm. So they kept bouncing mostly between ultra soft snuggle bear tires and softs. Um, but what happened initially, Nico Rosberg gets off really nice and he controlled the race. Pole to finish, he was first. Ricardo was behind him he started in second and he was pushing really hard up Mm -hmm. against Rosberg 
And then Lewis, with a bad start, was overtaken by Raikkonen. So there was this whole thing with Raikkonen and Lewis for a while as to whether or not that was all going to work its way out. Some tire changes along the way. And towards the end of the race, it was 20 laps, no, 10 laps before the end of the race, they had planned on bringing Rosberg back in for a tire change, but he didn't have the gap to maintain the lead. And he lost his opportunity. So he had to finish the race with Ricardo nipping at his heels. He went from a 26-second lead to a .4-second win. Yeah. And that included uh, Ricardo taking a pit stop to get better tires. So, I mean, that was that was intense. One of the things that I got to call out here, and maybe we'll hear more about it later in the week, but as you go back, recall going back to Monza, mm-hmm. and we heard about it right away. Lewis had, on his pole-setting lap, he was up by about half a second over Nico's best time, and the English press put out all kinds of stories about how Lewis embarrassed Nico by doing this. As I recall, Nico's pole setting lap for Singapore was 0.7 seconds faster than Lewis. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard anything from the English press. <laughs> Just thought I'd point that out. I haven't, I haven't heard a thing from the English press about about. Um, Nico embarrassing Lewis because it was 0.7 second time difference. My darling sweet Lewis did not have a good weekend this weekend. No. There, Let's there's, just leave it at that. The, the fact that weekend. he managed to stay in third, I think, was a minor victory. Um, but this does bring him back down to second. Yeah. And it ensures that we continue to have a race for the championship, and I think it's highly unlikely that the title will be decided in Mexico City. I think that that's a good thing, honestly. But I also am very, as a Lewis fan, um, I'm very encouraged because Sky Sports did a a look at the next seven races Mm -hmm. and said um, how many of those Lewis has won versus Nico's win. And many more of them have consistently gone Lewis's way. They have. However, Singapore was a track that Nico has never won at. Correct. And in a season like this, you truly have to win at those tracks that you've never won at before. True. True. Um, But there's a lot of press out there that does say that the back half of the season does tend to favor Lewis. But keep in mind, historically, Lewis has twice the amount of wins that Nico has. True. So maybe this is his year. However, I will say that Jensen Button, mm-hmm. the go-to guy for all comments these days, because I got to tell you, his new deal with McLaren must include a have microphone, we'll talk clause. Dial a quote. Dial a quote from Jensen Button. Um, so Jensen came out and said that he is supporting his former McLaren teammate, Lewis Hamilton, to win the 2016 World Championship. That that doesn't surprise me. We we know that at the very least, if they are not necessarily friends, Jensen has a great deal of respect for Lewis. And we have seen um, at times when Jensen could have made Lewis's life more difficult mm-hmm. that he has gotten out of Lewis's way. So it doesn't completely surprise me. Definitely. 
But that was the race. I mean, it started with a one-two-three that ended the one-two-three with a little bit of shift changing in the middle, and the big story was Vettel coming up from the back to fifth. I think if there was one more lap, this could have been a much more interesting ending. It was a good ending. It was a good race. But one more lap, and we probably would have seen Ricardo in first, and who knows what might have happened with Kimmy. Yeah. Well, Ricardo was on far newer tires against Nico Rosberg, and Kimmy was on Snuggle Bear tires to Lewis's Super Softs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was an interesting combination of tire strategy. But Raikkonen could not put it together even though he was on the faster tire, towards the end, he should have been chipping away at the lead, and Hamilton kept running away. Now, there was the whole brake thing. There was talk about the brakes mm-hmm. having problems in the beginning, and then at the end, as the cars lightened up, they weren't as worried about the brakes and put the hammer down, strap mode five, use overtake, all of that kind of stuff. So there was some interesting little tidbits, but the radio was kind of dull, some mid-pack stuff that was kind of interesting um like i said i thought one of the most interesting things was keep viat holding max off for as long as he did daniel that battle between caveat and verstappen was really good and it was it was impressive to see those two dice like that yeah it really was and i think that's probably the the only time that we've ever really seen them head to head true now Looking forward, we have a break for mm-hmm. a week, and then we go to Malaysia. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what some of the drivers do, because you know historically, there's a, between the U.S. and Singapore, it's a 12-hour difference. It's a 13-hour difference, U.S. and Malaysia. The drivers typically, when they go to Singapore, I want to say it's a f- eight-hour time difference, but typically the drivers and the teams when they go to Singapore, they don't shift over to local time because it's a night race. And usually after that, they head to Japan or they head somewhere else where there is a bit more of a dramatic time change. But this is the first time that we've had Singapore and Malaysia so close together. Are drivers going to leave? Or are they going to stay in the area? You know, one, there, there's always been a lot of talk, not just of the fact that the drivers don't change time zones, but they do try and get out there a bit early to try and acclimate to the heat and acclimate to the humidity. Mm-hmm. So now they've got two, well, conceivably as many as three weeks to do that. Do the drivers stay in the region or do they pull a Lewis and fly off to Vail? Well, I've got a strong feeling that Lewis is no longer in Singapore right now. <laughs> that, that, that's my theory. Um, I also wonder if our family men, because Zika is a concern. True. Some of our family men have vacated the area. Um, I think that that may play a part of that. I know Nico, I think we mentioned it last show, is that Nico has expressed some concern. He was very concerned. And, you know, we have, you know, some newly married people now. We saw Raikkonen's wife. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mintu. Mintu, whatever her name Mintu is. Mintu Raikkonen. Um, she was at the track. So um, I yeah. don't know what that says about their their situation with children. 
but I know they already have one. So, so one other thing bef- before we wrap up that I think kind of interesting. So during the, the qualifying coverage at one point, um, the F1 world feed cut away from the track action to some room somewhere with a picture of or, or showing some video of uh, Joss Verstappen and I'm assuming is Max's sister, okay. given the age of it. And the caption that popped up on the screen was uh, Max Verstappen's family. Okay. To which Martin Brundle commented that, you know, how much Formula One has changed, considering it wasn't all that long ago that you saw a picture of Joss Verstappen doing something, and the caption was, former F1 driver Joss Verstappen, as opposed to (laughs) Max's family. (laughs) Max's daddy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think Martin Brundle has a a definite... uh, buy on such comments since they raced together they yeah. know each other i mean they there's a lot of joking around that they used to push max in a pram mm. uh, no that wasn't max that was actually jolian palmer it was jolian that they yes. pushed in a pram yeah but him him and um oh now i can see his face and uh, johnny herbert johnny herbert him, him and johnny herbert used to push around jolian palmer in a pram yes you imagine. <laughs> and that's just a different life than what we know. Um, I have a final story, and it's okay. a little different than our race piece. And it's just, it was a single line item in my gossip column that I thought you might find a little interesting. Was it Damon Hill making the comment to Jensen Button that he thought in two years um, it was going to be Jensen interviewing some driver as opposed to Damon? No, mm. no. Um, actually, it was one of the world's leading internet security folks um, making the comment that F1 teams have a lot of infrastructure and interesting data um, that is not very well secured and is currently rife for hacking. Interesting. Now, we know a good portion of F1's communications infrastructure is um, provided by Tata Communications, the Indian company who is also um, the company that brings you the Tata Nano automobile and um, 8 o'clock coffee. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Figure that one out. But um, they've got a big piece, and I don't know if you have caught the commercials. They've been a sponsor for a while, but Red Bull's – uh, communications infrastructure, what, what isn't provided by Tata, is provided by their sponsor, AT&T. Mm-hmm. Um, that was all that this little blurb said, you know. That's all it said was mm-hmm. that it's kind of, if, if they don't have the right systems in place, that hacking is, is pretty simple, was sort of the, the line. I know that um, you, as in your computer geekery, would... Uh, find it interesting that somebody might point out that perhaps the security around the data of Formula One is not as secure as one might think. Well, maybe that will be the next big scandal is that a team has hired a hacker or has gotten the data off of WikiLeaks. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> 
And I think we have just figured out what Ron Dennis's secret plan is to compete with Ferrari. Yes, we will find out that instead of a Ferrari technical manual found in a dumpster behind a, a hairstylist in England, it'll be something. It'll be anonymous hacking into Ferrari's yeah. system. Posting it to WikiLeaks. Yes. And on that, I think we should call it a show. Okay. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. Whew.